to Trek Companion. This is episode 39. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are going to be discussing DS9's sixth season episodes, Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night, Inquisition, In the Pale Moonlight, and His Way. Let's do it! Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night, Season 6, Episode 17, Production Number 541, Original Air Date, April 1st, 1998, Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler, Directed by Jonathan West, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Leslie Hope as Kira Maru, Mark Alemo as Golducott, David Bowe as Basso Tromac, Wayne Grace as Leggett, Tim Dazarn as Halb Daler, Thomas Kopach as Kira Tabin, John Marzelli as Scavenger, Mark Morosi as Goal, and Judy Durand as Station Computer Voice. On her late mother's birthday, Kira receives a transmission from Gull Dukat, in which he tells her that Maru, her mother, who supposedly died when Kira was three, was actually his lover for many years and left her family to be with him. When Kira's investigation fails to prove Dukat false, she asks Sisko, as the emissary, to permit her to consult the Bajor Orb of Time. Oh, is that what you tell yourself, that you're doing it for the children, the clothes, the food, the easy living, that you're doing it all for them? Are you that deluded? It's not for them. It's for you. You like it here. You enjoy playing house with that murderer. Don't you see what you are? What you've allowed yourself to become? You're a collaborator. Adam, kick us off on this episode, please. You know what? I really like the concept of this idea. I just don't like the way they told it, you know, going back, you know, the orb of time and going back. I like the, I like the story. I like that kind of that weird, creepy relationship thing in here. I kind of wish they just would have found a, a better way to tell it. Cause I kind of, you know, the, it's kind of like one of those things where you just go back to the well a few too many times. And yeah. I thought the orb of time worked really well in, um, um, when they used it before, oh my gosh, I blanked on the episode and it's a great episode. Um, but because that was more of a fun episode, this one's very serious and kind of dark and creepy in a lot of ways. I just, I would like to see a different approach to it. Yeah, I think we're going to kind of agree on this one. Um, I, I think the the idea for the story, you know, the the two paragraph summary is really solid. You know, it's really good. But it's the it's the execution um, that I actually didn't care for so much. As usual, you know, it's still a solid episode of television, but it's not, you know, it's it's the single weak episode that we're going to be discussing today as far as I'm concerned. You know, all and it's still other, a really good episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other three we're discussing today are great. Um, but this one, it was it, just too many little things that just kind of add up to kind of take away from it. For one, it I don't know why, but it felt kind of cheap to me. I don't know. It, you know, it's like this, we're going to do a time travel episode. We're going to go back to Terak Noor. Um, Kira's going to go down to Bajor to use the Orb of Time. Uh, none of that. It, it, the whole thing just feels like it takes it place. too easy. It just too feels easy. like it takes place in, in one person's quarters on DS9 or something. Yeah, and the, the time travel, the Orb of Time thing, it's, it's, you know, I've always had a problem with making time travel too easy. Right. I think I would have liked it more if they had, instead of saying she was actually traveling through time, just make up an orb or something and just say she's going to have an orb experience where she, you know, visions and yeah, where she kind of um, goes to that time, you know, in in a 
fake, fake sort of way, and but knows that it's 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 really what could have happened, or just so that she can really accurately feel like she's peeking in on her mom's life at that time without it actually being time travel. You know what? You know what I would have found better. I would have I would have liked um, her mother still being alive and it being more a flashback thing. Where her mother's dying or something. I don't know. That was just well, I think they'd already established in previous episodes that her mom was dead. But I guess you could. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, she, supposedly, well, she mm-hmm. she didn't die when she thought she. Yeah, that's did, true. So that's true. But I don't know. Like I, I agree with you. The time thing. Yeah, it shouldn't be. It's it shouldn't be used all the time. You know. <laughs> you, you know, I'm, I may have liked this one a little more than you guys. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's great, and I agree with what you said overall. But one thing I did like was that. Um, they use a time travel element, yet at the same time, they don't dwell extensively on the ramifications of altering the timeline. I mean, one, yeah, mm-hmm. Cisco says that to her, yet when it's all said and done, the whole thing is driven by this, um, the conflict that Kira is experiencing over this. You know, she, you know, she's raw emotion. You know, I'm, well, what I want to do is I want to kill her. I want to kill her. I want to kill Ducat and, you know, to heck with it, everything, you know, and, and then, you know, the, then the love for her mother and what she feels, you know, to me, to me, that's kind of the most important thing, you know, yeah, and I, I, I think yeah. it, it, it holds up and, and we, mm-hmm. we've got it. We're going to have a good answer for what it's about. Uh, you know, I should say that in the other one. We're gonna have a good answer for what it's about. It's trying to be about something. That's why it holds up, and that's why it's oh, yeah. still good. And maybe if if this episode had been in the third season, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have stuck out as just that it was just good, right? Mm-hmm. You know. But even just compared to the other three episodes we're discussing today, Inquisition, Pale Moonlight, His Way. I mean, those are those are fantastic episodes. Those are yeah. yeah. They ver- they go from very good to fantastic, right? Yeah. Darker, <laughs> darker than Death or Night is just good. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think you, you could agree. Brian and I just both said we liked it. I mean, I really like the concept and the story where they mm-hmm. where they went with this idea. Um, like I said, just the execution just kind of bothered me a little bit. It took me out of the story, and I think they could have gone another way with it. Um, to talk about some specific things in the episode. Um, I liked uh, – well, first of all, we, we've had this comment many times, but holy crap, Ducat truly is slime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. It just oozes slime. What could be slimier? Just the way he call, – him calling her on her mother's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What a slime, slime, slime. You, um, you, know what, you know what kind of dates this episode a little bit? What? You know, most people don't answer the phone when they see unidentified caller. They're just like, eh. Well, and in this episode, that was a little bit, like, probably around the time um, the caller ID was coming out. So it's like, oh, you still had to answer the phone. I was thinking, why would you answer it if you don't know who it is? Well, it was the middle of the night or, or super early in the morning, right? Maybe she thought there was an emergency. Yeah. Um, I, tell you, I tell you, though, for much of the episode, the biggest slime, the collaborator is that pimp guy. The Bajoran oh, yeah. pimp guy. I mean, if they're calling the women collaborators, yeah. I mean, that guy. That guy, I... I God, I can't remember the actor's name, but I only know him from one other thing. He was in UHF. He was the co-star. He was Al's buddy. Okay, yeah, yeah. UHF. <laughs> oh, I'm a big Weird Al fan, and I love UHF. <laughs> there you go. Um, but he, he's done other TV work and stuff. But that's the one other thing I know him from. But yeah, he's he's pretty slimy too. Um, I like how once they once they become the comfort women and they get to the the station, um. It's so clear that that her mother, uh, what's her name? Mar- Maru. 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 It's getting a little hard to hear you, Steve. Uh, Maru. Um, it's it's 
clear to us, the audience, you know, it's clear that Maru is, um, she's open to what's going on, right? She's, right. You know, uh, she's kind of interested in the idea of not being hungry all the time, for example. Um, but I love that that Kira, you know, immediately is denying this truth. You know, mm-hmm. um, her mother Kira is immediately denying. Uh, you know, for example, as soon as, as soon as Kira gets to Terok Nor with her mother, that immediately uh, should tell you that there's an element of truth to something Dukat had told her. Because she, right. you know, but still she's denying it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it put it this way: once she gets there, now we know that the first part of what Ducat said was true. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that that should open the possibility that the rest of it could be true too. But she's still denying that. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of I like that. I mean, it's 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 true to her character, um, all the way into the point where, you know, uh, after her mother is in tight with Ducat and she. And she tells that uh, Bajoran resistance fighter who gives her the bomb, who says, you know, this something can happen to your mother if you, or not your mother, but this Bajoran woman. And she says she's a collaborator. She deserves what she gets. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty far to go, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's starting to get toward what it was about. Now, Steve, you were you were talking about some of these themes a minute ago. What do you what do you feel for what it's about well um i think i think it's there's you know there's a lot of gray areas in there um i think it's it's kind of a combination of you um it, it's hard to be objective about doling out justice when it comes to one's family and i think it's also um perhaps in a, on a, in a bigger sense it's about um there's a lot of different ways to make sacrifices mm-hmm. um you know for for your loved ones and such is this changing? You know, we had that last scene between Kira and Cisco. Um, is this changing? Here's my question: Is this changing Kira's view of other collaborators as well? Maybe is she open to this possibility about others, or is this strictly just her mother that she's? I think she might think twice. I think she might sure. give it a give it a little more thought than she did prior, even with people that aren't her mother. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a little bit. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't go so far as to say she's going to sit there and you know. I mean, I mean, she obviously it's understandable for uh, you know someone in her position to be very judgmental of collaborators, but she might um, be a little more interested in the circumstances before before doling out judgment. Um. <laughs> I don't know. They don't really ever explain. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this kind of the last episode we see where we see the occupation? Or is there any more? Or is this it? Hmm. That's a good question. I, it, it's the last one I remember, but it's been so long since I've seen season seven. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they don't really ever explore that again. I don't, I, I don't the, if I don't recall, I mean, I could be wrong, but it's kind of, but I, I like your question, but I don't know if they ever actually even go back there again. Well, you know, I like this this last scene between um, her and Cisco. It's it's a little fast the way it kind of gets there right after that explosion. Then we kind of we're so fast, um, but you know, uh, Cisco's point of view is you know she had she did what she had to do um, to provide for her family. 
but and the, and the word clincher yeah. that is the I'm sorry, just the video of her husband. You know, yeah, how. that's exactly. I was about to go into that now. So, you know, how much of this? And and I think that it's hard to answer this question, and that's what makes it a good episode. But how much of her mother? You know, was was she really doing this all for her family? She some of it had to be selfish. How could it not? Um, otherwise, she's a pretty good actress, and I don't mean the actress playing the character. I mean the character, <laughs> the character. Good actress, because she doesn't seem that incredibly miserable in those scenes with Dukat. Yeah, no, yeah. No. It certainly comes off that she's she's likes. She definitely likes. She's it. In, yeah, she's enjoying herself uh, to some extent, at least. And it's only when she really has to think about it and analyze it, especially like when she sees the video of her husband, does it really come home and she gets upset, you know? So, so if you go back to the, say the beginning of her giving into this situation, it was for her family. It was for herself or it was for both. You're saying it was for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a gray area. It's some, somewhere in between. Yeah. Caesar, what do you have for what it's about? Um, Well, I guess like like Steve said, there's a lot of areas in this. It's um, Kira, you know, obviously she had accepted this truth her whole life that her mother had died and these camps, that kind of thing. And it's, um, I, I guess, coming to terms with truth. With truth, you know, um, she has to come to terms with who her mother was, who she thought her mother was, and who she really was. And um, like I said, that last scene when in there, you know, when Cisco was asking her why why she didn't do it and I think it came down that was really her mother and she was her mother and you know I think it came down to no matter what she thought of her it's still your mother and the video and that kind of kind of I mean that's what was the trigger that helped made her save her mother why she saved a cot in that situation I'm not for sure <laughs> this is the this is the video where you know she sees her father thanking her mother for right. the sacrifice mm-hmm. And basically releasing her, you know, to you know, yeah. live your life, be happy, that kind of thing. And Could you guys, I, I try to imagine myself, I don't know, obviously I've never been in such dire straits as this family was, you know, never been in that level of, uh, uh, you know, that's destitute or hungry and, you know, so I, it's hard to imagine. Um, who knows what I could do, but boy, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, <laughs> recording a message saying, hey, Thanks for sleeping with Hitler because now I'm eating chicken every day for lunch. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. Well, he didn't know. He probably didn't know he was, she was sleeping with Ducat. He probably was like, who knows? Well, they, no, no, well um, UHF guy said comfort women, right? I think he used yeah. that term when they oh, took okay. them. Yeah. Uh, Do your thing. Maybe they didn't have a strong marriage as we thought. We only saw a couple minutes of it. That's true. <laughs> Um, so, so, uh, Caesar and I both thought this was good. Sounds like Steve, you thought it was better than good. That's all right. All right. So I think we're ready to move on. All right. Six degrees, four wrongs, darker than death or night. Steve, Wayne Grace plays the Cardassian legate that mistakenly believes he'll be spending the night with Kira slash Luma in Enterprise's fourth season. He plays Klingon Admiral Krell and kidnaps Dr. Phlox. Why does he do this? Hmm. Okay. I did not give you the episode title because I thought it would make the question too easy. Um, 
but there's yeah I, I vaguely remember this stuff does that have to do with the whole genetic manipulation bit with the Klingons and that is correct he wants nice Dr. Work. Fox to find the uh, cure to the Klingon augmentation virus mm-hmm. Adam yep, yep. Tim Dizarn plays Halb Dyer, the Bajoran resistance member that provides Kira slash Luma, the explosive device for Dukat's quarters. In Next Gen's sixth season, he played Sattler, one of several mercenaries that attempts to steal trilithium resin from the Enterprise D while the ship, uh, save for Captain Picard, is empty during a routine baryon sweep. Name the episode. I always like this episode title. I think that's why. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Baryon Sweep. I have no idea. <laughs> I know the episode. I don't know the title. Steve, do you know the title? There's a lot of these that have very kind of similar titles. Yeah, that, it does is, have a similar title the, to another one. Yeah. Is, it, is it Starship Mine? You are correct. It's Starship Mine. There's, yeah, there's another one I think called Starship Down, right? <laughs> yeah, Starship Up, Starship Your <laughs> so, Yeah, Starship Sideways. <laughs> oh, okay. Inquisition, Season 6, Episode 18, Production Number 542, Original Air Date, April 8, 1998, Written by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, Directed by Michael Dorn, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Samantha Mudd as Lieutenant Chandler, Benjamin Brown as Lieutenant Kagan, Judy Durand as Station Computer Voice, and William Sadler as Sloan. Internal Affairs Officer Sloan arrives on the station, announcing that there has been a possible security breach. He believes an officer may be passing information to the Dominion and promptly combines the senior staff to quarters. After no breakfast, Sloan summons Bashir, Bashir for a brief interview, which on the surface appears to go well. Isn't it more plausible that the Dominion wanted you to escape? Why? Why would they do that? So that you could start working for them. But I'm not working for them. How can you be sure? Excuse me? How can you be sure? You're not working for them. Okay, as I often do on this podcast, I like to tell personal stories. I want to tell a very brief William Sadler story I just have to tell. Do it. Mr. Caesar and I uh, worked at a video store in college together, right? Uh, If we have really young listeners at home, uh, video stores are where you used to have to go (laughs) to a store and rent a movie, like a VHS or DVD. On a videotape. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, I came out to L.A. in 2002 when I graduated college, and I transferred with the Blockbuster video I worked at just so I'd have a job when I first got here. And I worked there for almost two years after I moved here while I was getting production jobs. Anyway, you know, in L.A., of course, you see lots of celebrities or celebrities come into the store. We've all seen Star Trek people at, our, at the conventions, but all that's kind of different when you just run into somebody on the street, right? It's different. Um, William Sadler came into my blockbuster one time and one time only. <laughs> and uh, this was, you know, not too long after DS9 um, had been off the air. And uh, it was the only time I ever was not professional. Like any other time, celebrities, I never said a word. But with William Sadler, I had to go up to him. And I know he gets recognized for his big movies and all that stuff all the time, I'm sure. But I went up to him and said, are you William Sadler? And he said, yes. And I said, you are section 31. <laughs> and then what he, was thought his was, he thought it was kind of funny. And uh, he proceeded to tell me about this movie that he was looking for. He talked to me for 10 minutes, telling me all about some Western from the sixties that starred Roy Orbison. Huh. 
mm. like the singer, which okay. I thought sounded so nutty. Anyway, <laughs> he was really cool and nice. And it was just, I was so like giddy Star Trek, you know, person just to tell him that he was Section 31. <laughs> and I, I always remember that. Uh, so I, I, you know, celebrities, I, I don't have a problem. I don't get starstruck, except I do still have a problem with Star Trek people for some reason. <laughs> anyway, so that's my, that's my William Sadler story. <laughs> so, Steve. Yes. What do you think of this episode? Um, I, I really dig it. Um, I remember being quite excited about it the first time I saw it um, because of the notion of that kind of thing existing, a, a you know, um, underground, you know, kind of, or, you know, thing like, thing like the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order for the yeah. Federation. I mean, the okay. whole, just the notion of that was, uh, was way cool, you know, and that, the that notion really got... that the Federation had that was extremely the, you know, the opposite of what Roddenberry's vision for Star Trek was. Now, I, I like it. I mm-hmm. like it. I think mm-hmm. it's cool. And I think it brought a lot to, Star Trek, but there are definitely, especially at the time, there were definitely Star Trek fans that did not like that mm-hmm. it was veering mm-hmm. that far off. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't have any thoughts like that. No, not not really. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was a big deal, but I didn't, I didn't strike me in a negative fashion. I mean, you know, it was just kind of like one of those things that you know, it's uh, it's keeping it fresh and interesting, something new, you know. But it didn't strike me as totally um, against. What the, what the whole franchise is about or whatever. You know, we're going to get back to back, you know, like mm-hmm. Section 31 here and then what Cisco is going to do in the next episode we're about to discuss. I, you know, you can't even imagine these things ever uh, in, you know, Roddenberry's track. Yeah. Ne- original series or next gen, no way, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. True. It's true. Um, you can have one or two bad apples, Mm-hmm. We saw we saw bad admirals or whatever in next gen, or, but you can't have this systemic, been around for hundreds of years, um, right? Since the charter force, yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's shallow of me, but yeah, that that was my. That's always been my reaction. That I think I think it's, I think it's cool. And um, <laughs> well, it's it's re- it's realism. You know, you think about yeah, what Rodden, Roddenberry created. Um, a utopia. A utopia, yes. And um, certainly, yeah. Section Thirty-One is more relatable to us. Honestly, since this happened, it's more related to relatable to us. You know, when I think about, I don't know. There, there were scenes in this episode, um, like when Bashir was in the the brig, and and he came there and said, uh, Sloan came there and said they were just going to take him away, basically, you know, like in the dead of the night, and Cisco wasn't even going to know. You know, that made me th- and, and some of the things they were going to do to him. It made me think about uh, Gidmo. You know, yeah. it, these are things I yeah. wasn't thinking yeah. about when this episode aired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if there's, I think if there's any weak part of this episode, is sometimes the kind of rehashing of Bashir's career got a little tiresome, and I suppose it's just mm-hmm. because we're so into it and we're so familiar with it already. But it, some of that felt kind of like a little drawn uh, out. The series in review for Bashir, you know, I understand what they were doing. It just that seemed to drag at times. Well, you know what it is. If you do that, if you start talking about previous episodes, like recapping previous episodes, more than a few, I don't know how much time you get. Maybe you get 20 or 30 seconds of that. If you do that for a few minutes, it starts to feel like a clip episode, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like we it's used like a to clip have. without the clips. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a clip without the clips. Next Gen had a clip show, right? It's wor- That's his worst Next Gen episode. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. It's, it's certainly the Next Gen episode that I that I do not enjoy watching the most. 
<laughs> you know. So yeah, I, I agree with you. There's some times in the um, during the interviews in the interview room there that that it starts to feel a little bit clippy, um, and that's that that's a bit too much. Well, I remember when we we watched the episode um, where we found out about Bashir's genetically enhanced, and I'm. I remember watching that going, I don't remember if I really like this choice. And now that I see this episode, I'm like, you know what? That opened up a lot of, that opened up these doors. And these are, I mean, you'll, we'll see at least two or three more of these episodes, right? With section mm-hmm. 32. Mm-hmm. And, um, they're all really 31. good episodes. 31, my bad. They're all really good, um, episodes. And, um, yeah, my so, favorite is the one with, um, Adrian Barbeau with the Romulan. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. I remember that. Yeah, you know, it's funny, there's, and, and uh, again, I keep comparing this episode to the next one we're going to discuss, but there's a lot of things about Sloane that are similar to Garrick, a character that I love. Um, oh, for sure. They're both yeah. in the same profession. Yeah, but the, the way that they, the way they play mind games, um, kind of talk in subtext, you know. I love the little mind game in this episode with the, uh, with the breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great. It's it's subtle, but it's very effective. Yeah, um, it's goth for breakfast. It's literally for goth. Yeah, goth. <laughs> well, wouldn't you I, like to say that I'm um, seeing a scene between Sloan and Garrick? I, there isn't one. <laughs> Is there, Brian? I don't think so. Yeah, no, it would be cool. Most people don't get to see Sloan. Remember? Yeah, really sure, yeah, sure. most of the time. I tell you, my favorite thing about this episode. And I believe this was directed by Michael Dorn, yeah? I think mm-hmm. I'm the right one. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really cool. Because my favorite thing about this episode is kind of the point of view, that the entire episode is really told. It feels like it really is told from Bashir's point of view. Mm-hmm. You know? Like like when he's, um, you know, when the first time you see Cisco, uh kind of losing faith or, or doubting Bashir, you know, I really felt it from Bashir's point of view. It mm-hmm. was never, you know, and, and the reason that's so good is that by the end of the episode, when you realize that everything was staged, then that's how it should have felt. You know, it should have mm-hmm. always felt enough off that it, Cisco shouldn't have felt quite Cisco enough that I could empathize with him because it mm-hmm. wasn't Cisco. It was right. Bashir, you know, so from that point of view, it's very effective. And it's in little, little things like subtleties, they, they never cut to the outside of of uh ds9 like normally coming back from commercial or something you'll get an establishing shot of ds9 mm-hmm. they never do that you know and that's good because we're actually on um hollows or or once he gets beamed to um way in's ship you know there's no exterior shot of the ship right yeah. you know it's little stuff like that 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 you know maybe not super aware of it but it it all adds up to give you this this feeling of everything is yeah everything is from Bashir's point of view and it's a little bit claustrophobic because he has no control and everyone is controlling him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, that works. So my favorite thing about this episode is the tone, I guess. It's my long-winded way of saying that. Yeah. I like, I like the, the tone that it's told, with which it's told. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, William Sadler is Section 31. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, awesome. he's, he's perfect. He's awesome. You know? Mm-hmm. I think the reason that Section 31 got to play such a fun role, not just in this series, but then brought back even in... The reason Section 31 got big enough that it was referenced many times in this show was because Sadler was so good. You know, mm-hmm. I think the reason that... Um, even though it was... Uh, at the time, it was just DS9 that, it, that gave us Section 31, um, it was so ec- accepted into the, the Trek zeitgeist by the time the series was over 
that that's the reason that you know Enterprise touched on it. Um, and again, I think so much of that is because William Sadler gave it a face. Mm-hmm. Really, we really bought, you know, because he's mm-hmm. so good. Um, you mentioned it's interesting how it's interesting how this is back to back with the pale moonlight. Um, in a way, I mean, it's not like I doubt they kind of plan it in this respect because they don't really know exactly, you know, the sequence. They kind of just have the script to go with it. And they proceed, but it does kind of prime you for in the pale moonlight too. Because I think I think I think this is a very good episode. But I think in the pale moonlight is a great episode. Of course, all this is relative to the fact that we're in the midst of late DS Nine, which has so much great episodes anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think in, in a way it kind of gives you the, it makes this tone of you know um, of of this dark you know side of all of it and so forth and you kind of just you're in a, like a, a little sub sub world in you know, a little world in the in the midst of the DS9. Yeah, maybe well, it, it kind of helps you um, buy everything that's going to happen in the next in the next episode by giving you that subtle. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even um, Cisco, he sets it up. He's like, um, the next time he comes to you you say yes yeah (laughs) get involved in this craziness so what's this episode about william sadler is section 31 yeah there you go yes yep Um, Um, like you were saying this episode is a setup for uh for a storyline that's going to continue um so it's hard for me at least for me i mean you guys might have something different it's hard for me to say that to me this is more of a setup episode it's, so it's kind of hard to say what this one's about you know it's your typical kind of like spy and you know kind of cat and mouse type of episode um but it sets up everything the storyline to come so mm-hmm. to me that's what it's about it's it's setting up this this really cool storyline section 31 um william sadler and a bunch of other stuff we're going to see coming up I think I think that there's um in some ways there's there's this episode and the next kind of have something something in common as far as what they're about but if, to 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 specifically address this I think there's a notion of that you know whether you're talking about what's inside of a, a person who, who you are or you're talking about a larger organization or something like the federation um there has to be there has to be something like a section 31 that kind of keeps things in check, you know, I mean, you, you can, you can have your values, but at some point, you know, I, it, it's, it's almost inevitable that some part of something like this crops up, um, to handle things that are kind of outside the purview of what that value system doesn't address. Um, what would you say? Um, Sadler's, um, Sloan's intentions are good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think, you know, the, yeah, but you know, like, Gitmo, the intentions are good, right? Um, well, I think it's not an absolute. But, but here. the it's idea, not, the idea yeah. that you have, you can have basically secret police that can arrest you without giving you a reason well, why well, and just lock you away for a long time. Well, that's what well, I think that's why. Well, well, this episode and the next one kind of relate. You know, we're gonna, we're probably I'm going to ask you the same question. You know, Cisco asks the same question in the next episode. Um, are Sloan's intentions good? Are he, he? Well, he sees himself as a hero, I think, but. I think I think I think that's I think that's the interesting part of this is this neither this episode nor the next episode really really um you know are, are neither are against what what they're about yeah what, that's what, what makes it so is. interesting because yeah you know this idea that that uh you know paradise isn't perfect you know that, yeah. that yeah. there has to be something like that 
and that these two episodes, neither is going to end with tying it up in a bow. Both of them are going to admit to the possibility that the ends actually do justify the means, even when it's something as horrific as secret police Mm -hmm. or murder, right? And um, that is something that no other Trek ever did, really. Maybe Enterprise's third season kind of tried it, but they still Mm -hmm. never really went there. You know, and these two episodes are going to, are going to, are suggesting that possibility. In that, yeah, and I don't think the, the, and war sets everything up for that. You know, every other um, you know Star Trek um, series, there it wasn't about war. I'm not saying that DS Nine is about war, but I mean this la- these last two seasons are definitely about war and what goes on during war and the sacrifices you make and the lines you cross and you know the the evil deeds you do to save lives or achieve a greater goal. I mean, and, and that's all, that's war. That's what war is. And so that's what we see in these, um, these darker episodes. Well, um, we're talking about it enough. I think we should move on and really talk about pale moonlight. All right. <laughs> all right. But before that, six degrees for inquisition. Uh, what do we got? Steve's got two, two to nothing. All right. Uh, Adam. William Sadler makes his first appearance as Section 31's Deputy Director Sloan. In how many episodes does Sadler appear as Sloan? And you got multiple choices. Three, four, or five. And there's so few choices that I will not pass it on to Steve if you do not get it. So three, four, or five. I am going to say three. You are correct. It was three. Uh, two, one. Steve, one of Sadler's more recent performances. Oh, this is a pseudo six degrees because... Sadler was the only person. Mm-hmm. One of Sadler's more recent performances was as John McGarrett on the remake of Hawaii Five-0. What Star Trek writers produced that show? Hmm. What Star Trek writers produced the new Hawaii Five-0? That is correct. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to have to make some kind of guess. How about... Uh, Bradley Thompson and David Weddle? No, Mr. Caesar. <clears throat> um, I have no idea. If I had just underlined the word Star Trek, you, it might have helped. Kurtzman and Ortsy. Okay. <laughs> All right, so what do we got? We're 2-1, right? Yes. 2-1. Moving yeah. on. In the Pale Moonlight, Season 6, Episode 19, Production Number 543, Original Air Date, April 15, 1998, Teleplay by Michael Taylor, Story by Peter Allen Fields, Directed by Victor Lobel, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Casey Biggs as Demar, Howard Shangra as Grethon Tolar, Stephen McHattie as Brenak, and Judy Durand as Station Computer Voice. Going over casualty lists... Cisco realized there is only one hope of winning the war. The Romulans must be convinced to join the Federation Klingon Alliance. There's just one big problem. The Romulans signed a non-aggression pact with the Dominion. Now Cisco, sure that Dominion will eventually invade Romulus anyway, recruits Garrick to discreetly obtain evidence from Cardassia that will bring the Romulans into the war. And if your conscience is bothering you, you should soothe it with the knowledge that you may have just saved the entire Alpha Quadrant and all it cost was the life of one Romulan senator, one criminal, and the self-respect of one Starfleet officer. Say it. 
<laughs> I love Garrick. <laughs> I really do. It's a perfect episode because it's it really feels like, you know, Garrick is is half of this episode. You couldn't have this episode without Garrick. I really do no. love him. But yeah, I know it's not yeah. about Garrick, but I just had to say that. Thank you very much. Uh, All right. So, um, you know, this episode is so good in so many ways. One of the things that pops in my head, it's good because you can't talk about this episode without talking about what it's about. That the whole right. episode is what it's about in a weird yeah. way, you know? Yeah. Um, but so, so maybe we won't talk as much about, you know, specific plot points as, as we might usually I do usually, but you know, I had one interesting experience with this. I'd like to point out. So, as a, as listeners to our show know, um, my wife is watching this show with me, and it's the first time not only that she's seen this show, but it's really the first time she's seen any televised Trek. She's seen the movies and stuff, but she hasn't watched any of the other series. Um, and I've been playing up this episode for seasons. Like, oh man, Pale Moonlight. I I, I kind of think of it. It's usually like my number four or so. You know, it's usually The Visitor, mm-hmm. Far Beyond the Stars, Duet, and then Pale Moonlight. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, you know, about, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, of DS9 orders. So I've been playing this episode for a long time. I really love it. I think all of us do. We're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played it for her, and she thought it was good. And that was it. She was like, well, it was, it was good. For example, she loved his way way more than this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I was trying to think about, you know, why is that? One of our listeners, Dan, uh, sent me an email talking about, you know, like Far Beyond the Stars. He doesn't really care for that episode, um, but he does like Pale Moonlight. And all this stuff kind of got me to thinking about, um, you know, it's the great thing about having these discussions, doing this podcast is, is – when I hear other people's points of view, it kind of helps me in a way examine my own points of view. Like, okay, well, mm-hmm. why do I think this episode is so good? You know? So for example, uh, I think that, and I'm not saying my wife didn't get it. That's not at all what I mean, but I think that so much of what we love about this episode is in the context of Star Trek because, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if, if this basic storyline happened on 24, <laughs> You know, it would be a light episode. <laughs> oh, you know, only two of the people were trying to, you know, murder people or whatever. I don't know, whatever. But, yeah. you know, in, in Star Trek, you, you have to really know Star Trek. You have to know all the television shows to really understand what a big departure this episode is, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think they really set that up well with Cisco, and he's, you know, having his kind of almost his moral crisis dilemma after the fact, you know, trying to... Yeah reason it to himself and he's the whole episode is basically about him convincing himself that he's exactly not, yeah I, I, you know so in, in Star Trek you know in, in say 24 again it would take never 10 seen. seconds right but in this it's such a big deal that, that it's not just a Starfleet person but a captain could do something like this um, that they have to spend the entire episode on it and they do it well right you know they, by the time it's over when he says I can live with it I believe at least, I don't really believe that he can live with it, but I do believe that he doesn't regret his actions. I believe that he believes the ends in this case justified the means, getting the Romulans into the war to save the Alpha Quadrant and millions or billions of lives is worth, you know, being an accessory to murder. I, I don't believe him when he says I can live with it, but I do believe that he would do it again. 
Right. I mm-hmm. do believe that he doesn't regret it. You know, I am. Um, you know, I, I I buy what you're saying. The explanation <clears throat> as to the you know how you know, maybe someone not as versed in all the tricks would appreciate it less and and stuff. But I I, I don't know. You know, I think it's one of these things that's impossible. You you I can't remove my history with Trek. I can't take that out of my head and, and watch yeah. the episode without it. So it's impossible to be objective. At the same time, there are um, so many good things about this that I can't help but think that. It's hard to deny it's a great hour of television by anyone watching it. And the reason I think so, I mean, you've got not only do you have a, a solid plot, I mean, from the start to finish, um, you have that, you have great acting. I mean, you know, they've got um, Avery Brooks and, uh, and, uh, of course, uh, <laughs> Andy Robinson. Know. Yeah, yeah. And, and even Steve McCaddy is awesome. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, but and you also have them the method in which they tell the story. To me, like when I started watching this episode this time around, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, sometimes when, you, when we're watching episodes preparing for a podcast, it's kind of like, I've seen this, I know what it's like, and it's kind of like, okay, let's go, let's do it. And then I'm kind of just analyzing, thinking, okay, what am I going to talk about and stuff like this. This is one of those few that totally engages me. And what struck me was, is that from the very start, I think it's because he's talking to me. You know, yeah. how they set talking this up is that camp. he's, he's just yeah. looking there and say, you know, however he starts the episode, but he's talking and, it's, you know, it's like, this is, this has such weight to it immediately because of the mm-hmm. way they do that. You know, I think it's kind of breaking things. the fourth wall there. I could yeah. see that. Yeah, definitely. So in a way, he's trying to convince himself and us, the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Saying. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, I don't mean to take away from the episode. You know, it is a legitimately very, very, very good episode. It's a great episode. Um, and, and it's so that I'm everything really, I, about it, everything about it serves that central purpose mm-hmm. of convincing me that a Starfleet captain in this situation, the, the Cisco that we have known for six years could do this. Um, and, like you said, there's, there's a weight to it that the fact that they're telling the story in a different way than they ever tell stories, you mm-hmm. know, with, with this, not just flashback, but him talking into what at least at first appears to be the camera, but is really, you know, the computer, but still it's the same right. Um, well, um, just, just telling it that way tells me again, this is different and a big deal. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I know we're ju- I'm jumping here, but I love the end scene with Garrick. I mean, because I was surprised what happened happened, but not. Well, I remember I was thinking back watching this episode, you know, and um, Garrick says it perfectly. He, you know, he tells Cisco, you know, you got me to do the things that you couldn't do. And in a way, it kind of lets Cisco off the hook, but you know Cisco knows he's right. Cisco re- got Garrick specifically because he could do... Yeah, early on in the episode, Cisco said he couldn't do. Prepared to do whatever it takes. Cisco said that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And this day, but the weight of it comes down right there at the end in that confrontation between the two of them, and um, you can just kind of see it. And Cisco, he's like, "I did. I. This is what I said. This is the consequences." It's you see, because Avery's such a great actor, you just see that weight right there when Garrick's yelling at him, "You got me to do this because you Mm -hmm. couldn't do it." And um, that was my um, favorite. Favorite scene of that? This yeah. whole my favorite episode. moment in the entire episode is the scene right before that, which is basically Cisco realizing that Garrick is so effing smart <laughs> you know, that uh, Garrick had planned this all along. And then you know, there's just a shot of 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 Garrick walking, or uh, excuse me, of Cisco walking through the corridor, like pissed off. Right. Um, that's my favorite moment because it's 
it's a Garrick moment without Garrick even being in that the shot. Right? <laughs> so um, we were talking in the last episode about war and, you know, kind of how these two episodes relate. Could you see, I mean, Cisco is obviously in a different type of situation than any other captains. He's in a state of war, not just the lives of his crew are at stake. It's like the lives of tens of thousands, millions of billions of people. Could you see, um, you know, a Picard or a Kirk mm. doing this? For Janeway, I could see Janeway doing it. Um. Yeah, I can. I can, given the right circumstances. You know, I mean, I think those those ca- the captains are fleshed out enough that you buy that they have perspective. You know, where they would, you know, maybe not in the exact same way, but I think all those captains would be prepared to make tough choices in order to save a whole lot of lives. You know. Maybe, you know. You know what this made me think of was, and I don't want to go off too far in this direction, but uh, it made me think of of Ron Moore's Battlestar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not spoiling anything. If you if you if you haven't seen it, then please fast forward a minute on this podcast. But Steve, I'm pretty sure you you've been up through the section where um, somebody else takes over the presidency, right? You, the crazy yeah, yeah, craziness. Yeah. Okay, so the fact in in that show. To save the to to save humanity, um, she has to. The president would have to do something unethical, mm-hmm. and in that case, she decides not to. Mm-hmm. And I, um, and it, this episode kind of made me think of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and the reason I mention it now is, I'm not sure that I can see Kirk or Picard doing it. I'm sorry, I didn't know you broke up there a little bit. What'd you say? I said I said the reason I mentioned that now is that I, I don't know that I can see Kirk or, or Picard doing it. You know, in, in some ways this what we've talked about, Cisco, one of the differences is that he's an emotional guy. And they set this entire episode up in an emotional way. You know, it's all based on it's all coming from Cisco posting those casualty reports and he goes back to that a couple of times, you know, and how hard that is and um and these other captains aren't emotional like that. Well, I can see Janeway. I can see Janeway doing this. I don't, I don't have enough sample size for Archer, but I could definitely see Janeway making this call. But I'm, I agree with you. I don't know if I'm Kirk or Picard would would make that would would go to that mm-hmm. extreme. But that's an, but it's an interesting question, you know. Mm-hmm. Huh. And I always thought I always I remember watching it. And I thought I don't know for some reason it cracked me up. The it's a fake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's so I've crazy heard, funny. That I've heard people at Star Trek conventions and stuff quoting that line. <laughs> it's a fake. I can't even. I can't do it, but it's great. Well, I like I like that actor. He's yeah. done a lot of good stuff. Um, he's very good. Hmm. So I think we're. We, so, like I said, talking about this episode is talking about what it's about, right? You know, um, and what's so good about it is that there is no. These are all, it asks these questions, you know, but it doesn't give us. It doesn't tell us whether he was right or wrong, you know. It, it doesn't because when he says, "I can live with it," you know, it's not true. You know, it isn't true. Um, well, what makes it, even, makes it even greater for for Cisco, who's making these decisions, because he's also seen as a religious figure. So it's like a, a par, you know a paradox in a way, or oxymoron. You know, um, you have this 
almost saintly figure. I know we don't see him that we see him as a human, but I mean, you know, he's regarded as a saintly figure. And then um, he's having to make these um, morally, um, morally um, crazy calls. And um, it's just, um, that's why Cisco is such a, a great character because he has so many contrasts to him in this series. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we could probably talk about this episode for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> but instead... Yeah, it really is a great episode. It definitely, it's the um, very definition of an episode that holds up. And and these questions are going to be just as valid in a century. (sighs) In the Pale Moonlight. Six degrees for In the Pale Moonlight. What's our score? Two to one? Mm -hmm. Yep. Adam. Uh, Stephen... McCaddy plays Senator Vreenak, the Romulan that determines the data rod is a fake. In the Enterprise <laughs> episode, The Zindi, he played the foreman of a trellium mine in the Delphic Expanse. This was the first episode of which season of Enterprise? Season three? You are correct. It was season three. Two to two. Steve. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> The title, sorry, the title of this episode is a quote from a 1989 Tim Burton film. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Name the film. Okay, it is Batman. You are correct. <laughs> Three to two. Moving on. His Way, season six, episode twenty, production number five forty-four. Original air date April twenty-second, nineteen ninety-eight. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler. Directed by Alan Croker. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Debbie A. Monahan as Melissa, Cindy Pass as Ginger, and James Darren as Vic Fontaine. Bashir shows off his new holographic program, a nineteen-sixties Vegas singer named Vic Fontaine, who performs in a lounge full of. Maritime swingers and customers. While Vic is only a hologram, he is extremely perceptive and immediately senses Odo's love for Kira. Soon afterward, Kira leaves for Bajor to visit her ex-lover, Shakar, a move which clearly upsets Odo. He borrows Bashir's program and asks Vic for a little romantic advice. The First Minister asked me to update him on the war with the Dominion. My visit was strictly business now. Are we going to have dinner together or not? And if we do, then what? I don't know. Maybe we could go dancing. And after that, I suppose you'll expect me to kiss you. Well, it's possible. But then who needs dinner? Why don't I just get it over with and kiss you right now? Well, why don't you? talked about we've talked about this relationship between this brewing relationship between uh kira and and odo for quite a while uh the show has hinted at it quite a bit um and ultimately i've always liked it i I guess i'm a kind of a sucker for these (laughs) these are the things (laughs) even like that one episode where um the changeling posing as kira is stuck on a rock that's right. the episode mm-hmm. where he first said, I love you. Even that one, I recognized maybe it wasn't the greatest episode, but I loved watching it because I loved hearing him tell her he loved her. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but now, the gloves are off. They are a couple. Um, are you guys okay with that? Yeah, I mean, where else were they going to go? They were either going to be a couple or they were going to completely break. I mean, you know, it's been six years. Do you feel like they got here naturally? I, you know, with um, uh, Worf and Dax in a much smaller amount of time, I I really feel like that was a very organic thing. They really got there in a natural way. I still say they're probably the best couple in the history of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, 
does does Kira and Odo feel forced? The the act, you know, Nana Visitor and Rene Abrajanois always felt like it was forced. They didn't really want them to get together. Do you guys think it feels forced or not? No, I wouldn't say forced. Certainly less organic than Dax and Worf, but you know. Um yeah, I I I you know, I think it's a little odd, but I think it's it's in a way it's cooler they they went for it than not in, in a way that it's yes. it seems a little bizarre and you almost because it was so hinted at for so long you almost didn't see it coming or think it was actually going to happen and it did i think that's cooler than if it just hadn't happened that, that's kind of how, how i feel i mean that's exactly how, how i feel you know and the other thing is in in life i've seen some odd couples end up together <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were very very happy there's a certain you know like dax and Worf. Yeah, totally organic, works great, but mm-hmm. for very obvious reasons. You know, mm-hmm. Dax and her history with the Klingons and, and the kind of woman she is and stuff. Um, but in the real world, I don't see so much of that. You know, I see what almost every couple I know, in a way, I think of as an odd couple, especially if I, you know, if I know them before they get together, then it's even harder to imagine them <laughs> getting together. You know, so in a way, there's, there's, there's an honesty about it. Mm hmm. Um, now <clears throat> Odo's side of it is definitely easier for me to see um, I remember the first time I saw this episode that I, I loved it but I felt like maybe they were reaching with Kira but I, don't, I, don't, I didn't feel that way this time I mean as far as reaching with having Kira have her moment of clarity and decide she wanted to be with Odo I didn't really feel that way this time and maybe it was just because uh, you know watching them all back to back makes it you know, you can because mm-hmm. it's been a while since they've addressed this thread, mm-hmm. but you can kind of remember it a little bit better. Um, one of the things that makes Odo so work so well to me is, like, when this show was airing, you know, I was in my, uh, you know, I was around what twenty something, early twenties. I, I was a late mm-hmm. teenager when the show came out. Um, you know, early twenties around this time, and. Um, Odo's way of kind of going about relationships or or not going about them or trying to express himself and stuff, his kind of naivete mm-hmm. completely made sense to me when I was 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I know. Yeah. Um, now I look at it and I'm like, this is silly. Just go tell her how you feel or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it made a lot of sense to me then, you know? That, and Yeah. Um, You're more like Court now. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it makes sense for, for who Odo is. You know, he is... Mm-hmm this young life form. Um, and there's something that's very charming and endearing about it. And it's, and it's just as true in, in this episode. Um, his yeah, relationship, I, go ahead. Yeah. I, uh, I see what, I see what you're saying. And I, and yeah, I think definitely it's harder to see how Kira got here than Odo. Um, but at the same time, uh, not to be derogatory or whatever, but um, much of the time I find uh, women's motivations inexplicable anyway. So <laughs> yeah. I totally bought it. You know, it's kind of like, okay, she's there, you know, now it's, and like this moment of clarity for her, you know, so. Uh, so, so my wife, we were watching this, she turned to me and said, Steve's not going to like this episode. And I said, <laughs> said, well, you only say that because he doesn't ever like the relationship stuff, but I think he might like this one because it's just so good. Yeah, right. I do like it. I like it better now than I did. Um, I, I mean, I, I remember at the time thinking, oh, this is fun or whatever, and now I like it more. I'm not sure entirely why. Um, I think part of it is 
I don't know, James Darren, the whole jazz thing um, that it feels so comfortable. You know, I've like the last episode I talked about being wrapped up in it. And this is a different kind of thing, but I, I was wrapped up in a different way in this one. Like you fall into that environment, you know, it's a comfortable you know, it, it, there's, we can relate to that historically, you know, it feels like our heritage kind of, or something, you know, the, you know, it's, it's in the past before we were born, but it's jazz and it's, you know, it's something, you know, existed yet. It's relating to these characters that we, that we've uh, grown to love. And now here they are, they have a blossoming relationship and the whole thing together, I think made for a, just a, just a real feel good situation. Certainly. You know, James, well, what I was, go ahead, go ahead. James Darren's performance. James Darren's performance is so good. He's he's mm-hmm. so great as Vic Fontaine, and you know we're gonna have lots of great Vic Fontaine throughout this show. Mm-hmm. What were you well, gonna say? Well, I was gonna say, you know, in this order of episode, you know, we had really two kind of intense, dark episodes, and then you have this one, which is lighter. It's kind of it's light. I was even I was watching this like, is there a B? It's all that. This is only one story. I was like, was, I, was there a B story in here? And then you know you have the introduction of Vic. You know we have two characters of on polar opposites of, <clears throat> of personality. You know we had Sloane, and then we have Vic, who you, who's incredibly likable and that kind of thing. And um, I think in the order of episodes, I think it kind of made me like this episode more just after watching the the other two we just saw. It's kind of like a yeah. I don't think there's ever before after being a holographic character that I so immediately loved. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and the way they the way they handled it is so interesting too. I mean, obviously we've seen we've seen cognizant holographic characters. We've saw yeah. back as far as Next Gen, there was the Moriarty character, right, and then right. of course on Voyager, the Doctor. But uh, this is something a little different. It's like someone programmed a character to be cognizant and aware of their surroundings and be able to control their environment to such an extent. And that's kind of interesting from a geeky perspective, too. So you kind of add that in and made it even better. One of the many things that makes it comfortable, like you were saying, that's so nice about it, um, is how it just takes its time, this episode. It really just, it's not in a rush to do anything. Right down to... They play the entire song of several songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I that has never happened in Star Trek before or after. That yeah, was only, yeah, there was only one thing. Like, I, you know, Odo just pretending to play the piano kind of it kind of yeah, bothered but me. They do I, the entire song there. Yeah, <laughs> I can think of a couple times on Voyager, like someone to watch over me. Mm-hmm. They did that whole song. That was like one song in an episode. Yeah, there's like three or four songs in this show that they do the entire song. You know, trust me. Listeners, that's a big deal that they would spend three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. Like the, the the thing you just referenced, Caesar, uh, with Odo pretending to play the piano. They do that, A, they do that entire song. B, they do that entire song just to show you Odo's reaction as he slowly gets into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's just, they're, not, they're not cutting yeah. away to somebody talking at a table. That well, entire thing is just a bunch of reaction shots. And I think, I think that goes... To how how good of a job everyone did in this, the actors, how they cut it together, all that stuff mm-hmm. to make it that way. Because I, I wasn't bored at all. I mean, we've talked about episodes yeah, that yeah. have found places that bore us, and for whatever right. reason, and they're just playing a song all the way through. And yeah, we're seeing reactions <laughs> and all stuff too. And I never felt that at all. I just sat there and enjoyed it. You know, I just didn't think twice. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. There was a nice, um, even though this was kind of a slower, it had a nice steady, nice rhythm to it. Whoever, you know, when they put it together, even though it was a little bit slower and it was in a hurry, it still had a nice rhythm to it. And, you know, and if you can create a rhythm in a show, whether it's a slow show or a super fast show, if you have that rhythm, it makes it a lot easier to. And there's, there's another thing that was comfortable about it. I think when you have kind of a transparent structure, it makes it comfortable. 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was like no stress in this thing, right? The first we know what's time, going on. yeah, the first time you see uh, the fake, the the holographic Kira, and, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was like, oh my god, he's going to swap them later. I know it's going to happen. <laughs> you, know? you can just you can see the whole thing coming. Sense it. You can just sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, and I think in this kind of in a kind of a, a summary of of like the entire group of episodes we've done today, I think that. Um, it really says something for a writing staff coming into their stride because if you noticed or not, there wasn't B stories. I mean, there really weren't B stories per se at all in all in of any of these things, right? Yeah. You know, and yet that we, is that a first for, for a, a podcast we've done? It's got to be. It's got. Yeah, to be. yeah. <clears throat> I was, you know, I was mentioning. Yeah, I was rarely ever bored in any of them. You know, yeah. there were little moments in different ones, but you know, what were we saying, Caesar? Yeah, I was I was waiting for the B story in this last episode. I'm like, is I, there's got to be a piece. No, this is all about Odo and, <laughs> but yeah, it it was fine. You know, and it builds up to that wonderful moment where they kiss, and mm-hmm. it was it's such a great like energetic thing. You know, well, who needs dinner? Why don't Why don't we just kiss you right now or whatever? <laughs> and I remember, you know, I've talked about like kind of little many iconic moments from this show, the kind of things that got stuck into retrospective trailers, right? Like yeah. if you were if you were giving me five minutes history of DS9 and you could just give me a few seconds here and there, that is something that would have to be in there. Yeah. That that whole little exchange that takes probably ten seconds, that would have to be in there. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And it when I'm watching something like that, it's such I love DS9 so much. Um that you know, I get goosebumps because it's so it's so fulfilling and and um, um, honest and important. And you cannot imagine the show, like their relationship or not, that moment of them kissing is kind of this culmination of years and years, mm-hmm. which in a way is even more satisfying than the the much briefer romance we got between Worf and um, Dax. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. Even the score, did you you notice like the score had all these jazz charts? Mm-hmm. It had the mm-hmm. charts woven into the score. It's almost like incidental stuff. And it wasn't, you know, that's having th- thematic material like that is something, you know, they don't do on Star Trek. That Jay Chataway I, I did that for this episode was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, we all like this episode, it sounds like. Oh, we did. <laughs> Hmm. So I think it, it feels like we discussed what it's about too. But yeah, I mean, want to add on that? Anything you guys want to add on what it's about before we? Finish no, it? no. I think yeah, it's pretty self-evident. Yeah, I don't have anything else. So what was our favorite? What was your? I mean, Pale Moonlight's favorite episode for the day? Yeah, yeah, for me, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Inquisition's a close second. Second, I think. I think his way is a close second for me. His way, it. it I don't know. His way... I could probably name for you other episodes of Star Trek that have tried to... that just haven't... I, I can name other times maybe they've tried this or that and it hasn't... I'm going to put this a different way. His re, his way really works. I can name for you a lot of times they tried to do similar stuff that didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know? The mm-hmm. you know Pale Moonlight... I don't think they ever tried that. Uh, but his way is very unique in, in 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 its own special way. In that, it's the one time they really pulled off 
45 minutes of a romantic comedy almost, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I mean, and they also pulled out, I mean, you know, they're, I'm, I'm, up to this point, I wouldn't say there are too many holographic episodes that I really enjoyed. I mean, you know, the the stuff from from Next Gen with um, the Sherlock Holmes villain. Um, Moriarty. Yeah. Moriarty. Those were those <clears throat> good. But uh, yeah, I mean, this one's really solid. And, they, and I think I, when I first started watching this one, I was like, eh, it's a holographic episode, which I've never been a big, huge fan of. But this one really, I think they pulled it off in this one. So I would agree with you. Cool. Well, let's move on. Six degrees for his way. What's our current score? I think it's 3-2. Three, 3-2. Two. Three, yeah. two. Adam. Debbie Monahan plays Melissa, the holographic woman that loves Odo's hands. In Voyager's seventh season, she played Gar's mistress in the episode Critical Care. Gar sells an important gadget to Chelik, the administrator of a large hospital ship. What is the gadget? Is it a holodoctor? That is correct. It was the doctor's mobile emitter. 3 3. Mm-hmm. Steve. Mm-hmm. This is James Darren's first appearance as Vic Fontaine. In how many episodes of DS9 does Darren appear, including his Mirror Universe episode appearance? Uh, I'll give you multiple choice. And again, Adam will not get to steal because there's so few options. For the win, Steve. No pressure. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's true. Six, eight, or ten. How many times, James Darren? How many different episodes does james darren uh gosh i really don't have a good feel for this to be honest with you uh six that is incorrect is it eight it was eight mm. we ended a tie six. today though yeah we ended a tie, a tie. <laughs> awesome <laughs> yay that's good you see a tie is nice nobody goes home feeling bad <laughs> it goes home feeling that great but you know it's good all right um so Thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, the next two podcasts, we're going to be discussing three episodes each. Um, so next week's three, ep- or excuse me, two weeks from now is three episodes. Two weeks after that is three episodes, and that's when we'll be finishing up season six. Um, let's see. Um, hopefully, the next podcast is going to be posted like normal. Before the one after that, we'll be changing servers. Hopefully it doesn't, you know, we're going to try to make it so that it doesn't affect anybody's feed in any way. Hopefully that's the case, but we'll talk more about that next time, I hope. Um, also, uh, if you're interested, um, they announced uh, uh, they're going to be screening a couple episodes of Next Gen in high def at theaters around the country. Um, you can find a link to that on Star Trek's website, StarTrek.com. Uh Benji uh, reminded me about that, and it looks really cool. I did that for the when they they put the original series on Blu-ray. They ran a couple episodes on the big screen, and I went and saw it, and that was a really cool experience. Um, speaking of next gen coming out on Blu-ray, so a, we've had several of you uh, email asking what we're going to be doing when we finish up DS9, which is imminent, obviously. So what we are going to do is we are going to start with next gen. We're going to keep the show going. We're going to do. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation for its 25th anniversary. And uh, it's a great time to do it since it's coming out on, the first season's coming out on Blu-ray next month. Now, we're not going to be finishing uh, DS9 by next month, but we're going to finish it up, you know, late summer. Uh, and then we will start on Next Gen's first season. You don't need to have purchased it on Blu-ray, obviously, if you watch it on standard def, Netflix, whatever, you'll still be able to follow along just as well. Um, but it'll be fun if you're watching it in HD. Um and we're going to try to just do all of next gen. Now they're releasing those seasonal box sets every six months. So if we get too far ahead 
and we run out of next gen while we're waiting on the next Blu-ray box set to come out, we are going to switch over for a season to the original series. So, you know, maybe between next gen seasons two and three, we'll end up doing the first season of the original series. And then we'll go back to next gen as, as we can. And that's going to do a couple things. One, that's going to, you know, give us something to, um, uh, do while we wait for next the next season and next gen to come out, but also it'll give us an opportunity to kind of more directly compare the one series to the next. Uh, we're not going to split up a season, you know. If we do a start mm-hmm. start an episode, we're going to finish the season. Um, but that's kind of our general plan, and we're also discussing we might cut back to only th- talking about three episodes per podcast instead of four. Um, that's not for sure yet, but that's that's our that's our basic plan, um, and we're really excited to to do that. And uh, we really appreciate all those of you that have um, emailed in and asking that, that you have an interest like that is great. And we've also discussed, we're, we've got some, we're trying to get some cool interviews lined up and stuff for DS9 and 7 season. We'll talk more about that later. But anyway, it's a fun time. And uh, thank you guys for sticking with us. Good night, guys. Take it easy. Oh, finally, finally, finally. Send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Follow us on Twitter, uh, at Trek Companion. And you could leave us a review on iTunes, which is always the most awesome thing because it helps others find us. Okay, see you next time. Cool, see you. Bye. Take it easy. Bye.